And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest Sharing the Victory, a program sponsored by the WVU chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I'm Kyle Wiggs. On this Sunday morning, we're joined by FCA Campus Director at WVU, Kirby Myers. He's been with us the last couple of weeks, and we introduced you to him a few weeks ago. Kirby, welcome back to the show on this Sunday morning. Thanks for coming in. Good morning. Great to be here. Now, you've been on campus for, what, a little over a month? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So So you're kind of embedded with the football program and all the other men's athletic teams, but football program has the most athletes of any team on campus. Correct. You're there. You were able to to go on the road with the team for the opener against Maryland. Not the result we're looking for on the scoreboard, but what you do with these kids goes well beyond who wins and loses the game. Yeah, and I'm just so thankful to be there, have those opportunities to build some relationships, make friends on the team. I got to do my first chapel last Friday night, and uh, looking forward to this Friday as well, and uh, redemption against LIU. (laughs) What kind of response did you get for the chapel on the road at Maryland? A good group. You know, it's optional, so it's uh, definitely you come if if you want to, and uh, but we had a good group of guys come out for that, and I was very encouraged. All right, so that's what the FCA does on campus is they reach the athletes for Christ. They're not interested in autographs or tickets or anything that, uh, that someone in a position uh, of being an athlete on campus, not interested on what they can provide. They're interested in providing the gospel for these young people who are busy beyond belief in terms of what, us can probably you know have any idea the way they practice and have study hall and have uh, meetings and that type of thing so and and again it's it's athletics and in the world we live in today athletics is seven days a week didn't used to be like that when I was a kid nobody did anything on Sunday but that's not the case anymore so these these athletes your chapel on Friday night before the game may be the only opportunity they have to go to church all correct correct so that's very important, and they do it for all the athletic teams, male and female, on the campus. If you want to learn more about the WVU FCA, please log on to the website, wvufca.org. And again, uh, there's a fundraising mechanism. The FCA is supported by the university in a sense that they have access to the athletes and the coaches, but there's no financial support. They have to do that on their own. So if you have a heart for it, uh, please go to the website, wvufca.org, and look into uh, perhaps contributing your time or even your finances and certainly your prayers. So, uh, again, WVUFCA.org. And we're going to Sunday school. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to start teaching through the Gospel of John. And um, so let me read just verses 1 through 3 this morning just to introduce this great book. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. How many of you, when you are reading a book out there, you skip the introduction to the book? Well, I would encourage you not to do this when studying a book of the Bible. Uh, Read the notes if you have a study Bible. I would recommend the ESV study Bible or the MacArthur study Bible, and read those notes whenever you begin studying a new book of the Bible. And uh, make sure, if you are part of a local church, that you attend the first sermon whenever a new book of the Bible is introduced. So as we look into the Gospel of John today, 
just want to answer five questions as we begin what will, what will be a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. And the first question is, who? Who is John? Well, this is the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, and that can be very confusing, especially in the opening verses of this book. John is the son of Zebedee and the brother of James, and early church tradition strongly and consistently identifies the author as the Apostle John. We're going to spend a lot of time on this question, answering the question who, because I want you to know the author, uh, the human author of the book that we are going to study for the next several months together. God, as we know, is the divine author. All scripture is God-breathed, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. But John is the human writer that God used to write this incredible account of the life and ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. So let's talk a little bit about his family and his background. In Matthew chapter 10, we see that the names of the 12 apostles are these. In verse 2, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In Mark 3, verses 16 and 17, we read that he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And this is how the disciples are always listed, always listed in this way. Simon Peter is always listed first, followed by his brother Andrew, and then James, and then John. So James and John are the sons of Zebedee, John being the younger brother of James. His mother's name was Salome, and she was one of the women at the cross. Let's talk about his calling from the Lord, John's calling from the Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, we read that as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's talk about his relationship with Jesus. John was part of the close inner circle of Christ along with the Apostle Peter, and along with his brother James. In Matthew 17, we read about that famous event known as the Transfiguration, where Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light." In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus goes to pray uh, just hours before he would be arrested and crucified, in Matthew 26, we see that all the disciples, well, 11 of the disciples are there with Jesus. Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus, but the 11 are there, and they all go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, but Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they are close by him as he goes to pray. We also read that John was with Jesus along with Peter and James once again when Jesus went into the room and and raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And so we see that John was part of this close inner circle with Jesus along with the other disciples, his brother Andrew, or brother uh, James, and with Peter. Let's talk about his presence at the cross. 
John was unique. He is the only known apostle of the twelve who was physically present at the cross. We read in John 19, 25 to 27, Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. And as we will see in our study of this book, John refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he identifies himself. Let's talk about his, resurrect, his reaction to the resurrected Lord. We see that he ran to the tomb. I love this passage in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. So we see John and Peter running to the tomb, and and John tells us that he outran Peter to the tomb. I love that very much. He identified the Lord while the disciples were out fishing after Jesus had raised from the dead. In John 21, verse 11, it says that Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, and John tells us there were 153 fish in the net. And I think that John was so taken by this miracle that Jesus could provide for them in this way that he went out and counted this great catch of fish, and his life would never be the same. We see his boldness as an apostle, and I would just encourage you to, to read about this in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, Acts 4, verses 1 to 4, and then Acts 4, verses 12 to 23. His impact on people for eternity Let's talk about that. When we are witnessing to someone, uh, when we find someone who seems to be seeking after God or investigating Christ, and they are interested in knowing more and reading the Bible, what do we often encourage them to read? Well, I know that I encourage them to read the Gospel of John. Uh, we even hand out copies of the Gospel of John. It's, it's very rare to see a uh, printed single copy of the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke, but the Gospel of John, we often find a copy that we can hand out to others. I just wonder how many people have come to Christ because they read the Gospel of John. Well, perhaps we will find out in eternity. We have internal evidence that this was written by someone close to Jesus, one who was an eyewitness of these events, and we have more internal evidence that this was written by John the Apostle. John 21, verse 24, John says, 
This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So that's a long uh, answer to the question, who, and I just wanted you to know a little bit more about John the Apostle before we dive into this book together. The next question would be, whom or to whom? It would be nice if John did what the Apostle Paul does in his epistles when he identifies the people or the churches to whom he writes. Paul's letters are written to churches, to the churches of Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae. Paul's letters are written to pastors like Timothy and Titus. Well, John has written this account to unbelievers, to those investigating Jesus Christ, to seekers who are seeking because Christ first sought after them. John is writing this book to whoever would pick it up and read it so that they would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, they might have life, and that being eternal life in his name. John 20, verse 31 says, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The third question we want to answer is when. When was this book written? Well, I can tell you it was written before any of us were born. It was written a long time ago, so somewhere between A.D. 30 and 2021. Most of you, maybe as you're listening, maybe you don't care so much when this book was written, but it really is important. It had to be sometime before John died because John claims to be the author Liberal scholars would like to tell you that this was not written by John at all. If you've ever had a religion class at a secular or public university, you've probably heard a professor, a doctor, try to tell you that John was not written by John, but instead by a scribe who wrote this later, much later, in the 3rd or 4th century. So this is of great importance to us to determine when was this book written. When I was a pastor in Indiana, I taught through the book of Revelation, which you may know is also a book written by the Apostle John. And when we looked at that book together, we dated that book at around A.D. 95 or 96. It is the last book of the the New Testament. It is the last book that John wrote before he died. He is the author of five New Testament books. And when John wrote this gospel, I believe he was aware of the other gospels, which we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John would have written this gospel in his old age, but he would have written it before he wrote his epistles known as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. So the gospel of John, we would date around A.D. 80 to 90. So about 50 years after he witnessed the earthly ministry of Jesus. And that's all that we will say about that now. We'll probably come back to that later in our study. The fourth question we want to answer is the question, what? What is the Gospel of John? What is it about? Well, some have called it the Gospel of Belief. We find the word believe translated from the Greek word pastuo 98 times in this Gospel. So you see why it would be called the gospel of belief. What do we find when we study the gospel of John? Well, we see a great focus on the deity of Christ. 
And we see that in the opening verse of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. That's what John is trying to show us. And again, we learn this from the opening words of this great gospel. Jesus is God, and he will claim to be God throughout his ministry. I hear people sometimes saying that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, someone who says that has never read the Bible. They've never read the New Testament, because throughout his ministry, Jesus claims to be God, and we will see that in this study together. He is God. He is the Son of God. And as we will see in our study, sonship denotes equality. Listen to these verses from John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In John chapter 8, verses 56 to 58, he says, The Jews said to him, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and it was, and was glad. I'm sorry, Jesus said this. Let me start again. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Here Jesus says those famous Greek words, Ego eimi. I am. He is declaring himself to be Yahweh, the the Lord of the Old Testament. And this is why he would eventually be put to death, for this was considered blasphemy to the Jews. One thing we find in the Gospel of John that is unique is the seven I am statements of Jesus. In John 6.35, we see the first one. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 8, verse 12, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, verses 7 through 11, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 11, verses 25 to 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Perhaps the most famous that we are most familiar with is in John 14, as we continue looking at these I am statements where Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. And then finally, in John 15, we see the seventh I am statement of Jesus, where he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so again, these seven I am statements are unique to the Gospel of John. You will not find them in any of the other three Gospels. As we examine the Gospel of John, we will see that that John here presents Jesus as the Son of God. When you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is a Jew, and he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and so he is presenting Jesus as king. He wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. In the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the four Gospels, we see Jesus presented as the servant, where we read that Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus presented as the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite designation of himself, uh, where he calls himself the Son of Man. But in John, we will see Jesus presented as the Son of God. The Gospel of John places more emphasis on the deity of Jesus than any other gospel, and really any other book in the, in the New Testament. The final question we want to answer is the question, why? Why was this book written? Well, John tells us near the end of his gospel, that's really helpful that he does that for us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, we read that, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This book is evangelistic. It is written so that, here's a purpose clause, so that you might believe. It is also apologetic, meaning that, that John is writing to show that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so the Gospel of John is a great study for unbelievers, where Jesus is presented as the Son of God, as the long-awaited Messiah that Israel was looking forward to. He is the I Am. If you remember in the Old Testament when the Lord appears to Moses and tells Moses he is going to lead the people of Israel. And Moses is like, hey, wait a minute, who am I? What shall I tell them? And he says, the Lord tells him, tell them the I am sent you. Jesus is the I am. He is the one whom they must place their trust in for salvation. So if you are listening this morning and you have not yet believed on Jesus as your Savior, I would invite you to listen in each week and hear the Word of God and see this defense from the pen of the Apostle John, again, known as the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And I, I pray you would do that, that you might be convinced that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, and that you might believe on him, and by believing you would have the forgiveness of your sins and have everlasting life. Well, what about the rest of us? I don't know who's listening this morning, but I would think that a majority of those listening today are those who have already believed in Jesus Christ, those who already trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. What's in it for you? Why should you tune in as we study this great book together? Well, I would say the advantage would be to have a weekly encounter with the Son of God, with the one who has saved you from your sins, with the one who has given you everlasting life. Really, what is more applicable than the life and the ministry and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? I can think of absolutely nothing that is more applicable than looking into a book like this and looking at the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. This gospel takes off right from the beginning. There's no, If you don't like genealogies, there's no boring genealogies here. I was reading, we were reading through Luke as a family, and my boys were asking me last night as we were reading Luke 3, do we have to read through the genealogy? Well, John begins with this incredible declaration of the eternal existence of Jesus, the Word, and with a strong focus on his deity. And so I want to encourage all of you to be listening week after week as we dive deep into this glorious gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study this great book together. Thank you for the gospel of John. I thank you for how, Lord, so many have read this great gospel and believed that you are the Son of God, that you are the Christ. And through believing, they have had the forgiveness of their sins, and they have been given everlasting life. Bless our study of this great book. We thank you for the opportunity to look at it in great detail, verse by verse, week after week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.